we'll spread it out over a couple weeks. Uh, I think it was Lois this morning said, yeah, Psalm 32. She says, I, I, something like, I expect a fire and brimstone message. So I don't know about that. I think I'm going to talk about cats instead. <laughs> so, uh, there, there's an article in uh, the New York Magazine that, that's uh, entitled 17 Things We Know About Forgiveness. And uh, the, the one that really caught my eye was number two. Cats never forgive. It says, scientists observed conciliatory behavior in many different animal species. The bulk of the research has been done on primates like uh, bonobos, mountain gorillas, and chimps who often follow confrontations with friendly behavior like embracing or kissing. Scientists have observed similar behaviors in non-primates like goats and, and hyenas. The only species that has so far failed to show outward signs of reconciliation are domestic cats. So it would seem to me that, you know, God has given us animals to demonstrate behaviors that we can see in ourselves. We see this in the, the scriptures. You know, we, uh, for instance, in Proverbs, we're, we're told to observe the ant, you know, the industrious ant, hardworking and uh, works together in, in community. Uh, Proverbs 6, 6 through 8, go to the ant, O slugger, consider her ways and be wise without having any chief Officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. Consider her ways and be wise. You know, the Bible also talks about sheep and it compares us to sheep, you know, who are prone to, to wander off. A little later in this psalm, we'll, we'll look at uh, mules and horses, which need to be uh, curbed with, with brit, or bit and bridle. So anyway, you could say that cats are probably about the most ungodly or at least un, ungodlike animals in their inability to forgive. And unlike cats, we see in this psalm that God is ready to forgive. He stands ready to forgive us when we come to him in, in confession. Now, earlier this year, we... We looked at this this model prayer that, that Jesus gave us, the, the Lord's Prayer. Remember how it starts with, with praise and adoration. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. You know, we, we looked at how we should approach God, you know, beginning with praise and adoration. That comes first. It it comes before we ask for our daily bread. It, it even comes before asking uh, for forgiveness. You know, the, the point is that we should, we should seek God's face before seeking his hand. And uh, there's, there's a book or a, a verse in the book of Ezra that, that states this really well. Uh, you know, as Ezra was planning the trip back to Jerusalem from captivity, uh, he proclaimed a, a fast for, for God's people, the Israelites, so, so that they might humble themselves before God and seek from him a safe journey, it says. And uh, Ezra 8, 21 through 22 says, Ezra talking here, he says, I was ashamed to ask the king for a band of soldiers and horsemen to protect us against the enemy on our way since we had told the king the hand of God is good on all who seek him. So our, our first step is to, to seek God 
to praise him, to worship him, to adore him. And a, a useful guide we, we've talked about is uh, the ACTS model, A-C-T-X, A-C-T-S. We, many of us have heard of that. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Well, this, uh, this Psalm 32 that we're going to look at today uh, deals with confession. That would, be, that would be the second step in that model, confession. And as we look in this psalm, we see that God is, is ready. He's standing ready to forgive us when we confess our sins. This psalm was written by David, King David. And uh, we all are familiar with the story about how he sinned with Bathsheba and, and, and murdered Bathsheba's husband. You know, And he was really under some pretty heavy... A conviction from God about this and this psalm is one of the psalms that he that he wrote after that about forgiveness it's about uh, the necessity of confessing our sins and the, the blessedness of, of receiving that forgiveness when the Lord gives it to us let's let's read Psalm 32 Psalm 32, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of the summer. Selah. I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. That's a musical term. Indicates a pause. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer you prayer or offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of de- deliverance. Selah. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, where it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, you upright in heart. Well, I'd like for us to see four things in in this psalm. First, that there is joy in forgiveness. There is joy in being forgiven by, by the Lord after we've sinned. Second, there is a removal of the misery of guilt in confession. Third, we need to seek God's favor. And fourth, we need to submit to him. So David begins by pointing out that there is joy and relief and forgiveness. He says that the person who is forgiven is, is blessed. Remember what this word means. It means happy. You know, why are we happy when, when God forgives us? You know, it, it has to do with relationship with with reconciliation you know when we sin we rebel against God uh, we cause our relationship with him to be damaged you know in a, in a sense where we we separate ourselves from God when we 
when we sin. They become, our, our sin beca- gets between us and God. You know, and any pleasure we might feel from our sin is, is fleeting. It's, it's false happiness. You know, it's really a poor substitute for the, for the joy and the, the blessedness that can only be found in, in an unbroken and close relationship with God. It's when God forgives us. We find reconciliation. Things are set right. Even in the secular world, the, the value of forgiveness is known. Uh, there, there's an article in Psychology Today on forgiveness. Dr. Robert Enright says the offering of forgiveness and the seeking of it is usually intended to affect the goal of reconciliation. Reconciliation or the coming together again in mutual trust. So when God forgives us, he removes our, our guilt. He, he takes away the punishment of our sins. He, he restores us. He, he brings reconciliation, allowing us to once again be close to him, to walk closely with, with him. We're, we're blessed, we're happy when our when our sins are covered, it says, when they're, are, when they're concealed, you know, they're, they're taken away, they're, they're buried. And God is the only one who can do this. You know, we'll come back to this in, in the next session, but it's, it's good. It brings joy and happiness to come clean. You know, there, there are places in the Psalms and... Uh, also in Isaiah, where God's forgiveness is referred to using a, a different term, you know, it talks about God blotting out our sin, our sins. Now, the first couple verses of uh, Psalm 52 say this, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgression. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. You know, we're blessed when, when we're forgiven and, and the Lord doesn't count our iniquity against us. Now, God, God's role is, is that of, of the forgiver. What is, what is our role in this process? It's that of, of the confessor. We have a part. The misery of guilt is removed with confession of sin, the misery of guilt. Max Lucado writes this, Confession does for the soul what preparing the land does for the field. Before the farmer sows the seed, he works the acreage, removing the rocks and pulling up the stumps. He knows that seed grows better if the land is prepared. Confession is the act of inviting God to walk the acreage of, of our hearts. There's, there's a rock of greed over here. Uh, Father, I can't budge it. And that tree of guilt near the fence, its roots are long and deep. And may I show you some dry soil, too crusty for seed. He says God's seed grows better if the soil of the heart is cleared. Now look at the last part of verse 2. Here's where we get a, a glimpse of our responsibility in this, this process of forgiveness. Uh, this blessed, happy person doesn't have any deceit in his, in his spirit. You know, we, can't, 
We can't lie about our sins, or we can, but we're deceiving ourselves if, if we do. We may be deceiving other people, but we, we can't deceive God. You know, we, can't, we can't deny our, our, our culpability, our, our blameworthiness. In Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen, it says, Whoever conceals his transgression will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. You know, so before we can confess our sins, we need to be honest with ourselves. We need to acknowledge our, our sin and admit to ourselves that we have, we have something that's coming between us and God. St. Augustine of Hippo, in, in his uh, confessions, wrote, and he's talking about before he was saved, and he was under the conviction of sin by the Holy Spirit. He said, my sin was all the more incurable because I did not think of myself as a sinner. He was refusing to acknowledge his sin. And isn't that our natural tendency? You know, we we tend to uh, be disposed to uh, denial. You know, we keep silent as we continue in our sin. And when the Holy Spirit brings conviction, we, we ignore him and you know, we say, no, I'm all right. My, my sins are no big deal. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm better than most people I know. But you know, sin is a big deal. It separates us from God. It brings death. It brings misery. And David talks about this experience of, of misery. He talks about his experience. He said, as long as he kept silent, he suffered. He, this, this guilt and, and shame of, of sin hit him hard, and it hit him emotionally and phys, uh, physically as well. He, he says, my bones wasted away. It says he groaned. It says that his strength dried up. This guilt and shame. You know, listen, listen how he describes the conviction he was under, this, this conviction from God. <coughs> He says, day and night your hand was heavy upon me. Now, I don't know about you, but this does not sound like a person who's blessed. This sounds like a person who's, who's suffering because of his sin. You know, instead of living in unparalleled joy, uh, David is living in a state of uh, emotional anguish, physical anguish. You know, he's, and, and it's because he's living in this state of unresolved, unconfessed sin. He refused to acknowledge his, his sin to God. He refused to repent. And his sin has not been forgiven because he's held on to it in, in silence. He's denied it. You know, sin's a pretty unpopular word these days, is it not? People don't want to hear about it. You know, today we, we hear about people having issues or people having problems. You know, they maybe we talk about their sin as, as their, their personal preference or, or their uh, lifestyle. You know, people don't want to acknowledge sin. I used to work with a guy who we had a conversation about this, and, and he had a really hard time acknowledging that he was a sinner. Now, he acknowledged there was such a thing as evil because, you know, he said, well, yeah, Hitler was, was evil and 
people who kill sea turtles are, are evil. But he rejected the gospel because he was unable to see that he had a sin problem. He had, he had a problem which was separating him from God, and it was sin. He was putting up a false front. You know, uh, even even many uh, Christians have a have a hard time with this. You know, uh, maybe we believed in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, but you know, day to day we've become blind to our our sins. We all we all sin. Maybe we've uh, become calloused. We we've become comfortable with with a particular sin issue in our our life. Um, Paul talks in 1 Timothy 4 about people whose consciences are seared. They've lost the ability to uh, recognize and acknowledge sin in their lives. And again, if this described us when we sin, we we just think, you know, no big deal. My sins are little. They're not hurting anybody. And we deceive ourselves. Maybe we call our sins bad habits or indiscretions. You know, we try to excuse ourselves saying, well, this is the way I am. This is the way God wired me. Uh, You know, self-deceit refuses to acknowledge sin, and it sears our consciences. We grow calloused. But we cannot deceive God. We're going to be miserable when we continue with unconfessed, unresolved sin in our lives. Uh, maybe, maybe somebody in this room is, is in that state. Maybe, maybe many of us, you know, living a lie, uh, experiencing misery. You know, the psalm goes on to say, though, that there's hope. We can avoid such misery by seeking the Lord's favor. In verse 5, David gives us the solution. He offers hope here. Here's the solution. Acknowledge your sin. Don't cover it. Confess your transgression. There's a great passage in 1 John chapter 5 that discusses this. Verses 5 through 10. This is the message we've heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his, his word is not in us. That's spelled out pretty clearly. We sin, we need forgiveness. When we confess, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is hope. David says here in verse 6, Let everyone who's godly offer you a prayer at a time when you may be found. When is this time? When is this time when God may be found? Do you find that a, a curious verse? You know, it's, uh, it's when we've realized, when we've made that acknowledgement that we have sinned. We, we must not let that sin 
take hold. We must confess it, ask God's forgiveness, repent of that sin, and and turn to God for his help. Turn to him for for victory. You know, our our Christian lives are going to be weak if we're not in fellowship with God, if, if we have unresolved sin in our lives, you know, we, we will be out of fellowship with him. We'll be far from him. The thing is, it's, it's hard to approach the throne of God and run away from him at the same time. It's, it's hard to uh, please God while we are rebelling against him at the same time. You know, we have to realize that, that we can't do it on our own. We cannot live this Christian life in a way that pleases God and keeps us close to him on our own. We need him. You know, maybe we have a sin that we, we just commit over and over again and, and we confess it to the Lord, but then, you know, we do it again. We, we muster all our, our strength and our resolve but still we, we succumb. You know, what do, what do we need to do? What do we need to do? We need to go to God. We need to yield to him. We need to let him be our refuge. Let him be our hiding place. Let him be the one who, who preserves us, who, who strengthens us in, in time of trouble. We need to let him surround us and deliver us. You know, we, we cannot do it on our own. We cannot do this on our own strength. We need him. We need to admit it, admit our sin, give it to God. David says, you surround me with shouts of deliverance. That's victory. Shouts of deliverance. This is, this is surrender. You know, we, we need to submit to the Lord and we need to not be stubborn. So we know cats don't forgive. And we see here that horses and mules do not ask for forgiveness. David says, don't be like a horse or a mule. Now, I don't have any experience with mules. I don't know if anybody in here does. You know, the stereotype of a mule is a a stubborn animal, right? Well, I looked at a presentation by the American Mule Association. I didn't know there was such a thing about mule behavior. The presenter loves mules. He's a, a mule devotee. But he kept repeating this one thing. It takes patience. It takes a lot of patience to deal with a mule. He said that a mule's brain does not have the ability to reason. It said that his that behavior in a mule needs to be reinforced by repetition. And he said that mules don't forget a thing. If you if if they've had a bad experience or or if they've been allowed to get away with something, they don't forget that. And he said horses are much easier to deal with. Now we've had horses. We've had horses. But, you know, it always seemed to me that horses uh, still need to be coerced. You know, they make them uncomfortable, then they'll do what you want them to do. That's why we put a, a bit in their mouth. That's what David's talking about. You know, it's, it's essentially pain avoidance. Don't be like a horse or a mule. Don't be stubborn. 
so that the only thing that causes you to do right is some unpleasant circumstance in your life. That's what David is talking about here. You know, we need to serve the Lord with gladness, seek him willingly. But we can be so stubborn. We can be like stubborn children, you know. Those of us, this is the Father's Day portion here, by the way. You know, those of us who are fathers and have children know that it is so much better when our kids do things willingly and cheerfully than when they do it because they're being forced or, or, or coerced. Sometimes we have to force them because of their, their rebellious resistance, and we must not be rebellious, resistant children. You know, it grieved me when my kids are stubborn, and I know it grieves God when I'm stubborn. Well, the solution is in verse 8 here where God is speaking. He says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. He doesn't leave us to figure out how it should be. You know, he's, he's a good father. His desire is to teach us, to instruct us so that we know what's right. We know how to respond to his love. You know, so that we know how to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's his desire for us. Fathers, poor parenting is to keep your children guessing, to be capricious and unpredictable, causing them to to live in fear so that you know, they, they're afraid if they do something wrong, they're going to get smacked down. You know, some of us might have or, or have had a father like that. You know, impossible to please, angry. And some people have that image of God, but that's wrong thinking. Our Father, our, our Lord God, who is our Heavenly Father desires to have a loving relationship with his children. You know, he wants us to be healthy in, in mind and body and emotion, and he desires us for us to grow and mature and to be like him. You know, where we where we learn to love others, where we learn to show others grace and, and mercy. Just like he shows us. That's how he is with us. You know, so unlike a horse or a mule which doesn't have the ability to reason, God says to us in Isaiah 118, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, though they be white as snow, though they or they shall be white as snow, though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. This is God's desire for us when we turn to him. In our, or from him when our, in our sin. You know, his desire is cleansing, restoration, reconciliation. You know, it's his desire that we willingly and cheerfully seek to follow him. Much better to be motivated by our love for him than by uh, corrective discipline. But he will discipline those he loves. You know, and we, we see here from what David is saying, if we choose to hold on to our sins, things will not go well for us. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, the Bible says. And, uh, you know, what, what a shame that some of us could be placed in this category, the, the wicked, but there are Christians, 
people who choose sin and disobedience over obedience, people who know God's way but go the other direction instead. In the, in the parable of the prodigal son, we, we see such a situation, and this is exactly what happens. Remember, the, the son leaves his father. He goes his own way. He lives in sin and, and debauchery and, and wickedness. And, you know, the thing is, he never loses his sonship. His, his father never stops loving him. Remember, the father lovingly embraces him when, when he comes home. But before he comes to his senses, this son is, is living in misery. He, he finds himself in, in the pig pen, envying the pigs for the good food they're eating. You know, I'd, I'd say that uh, his way's not working out well. You know, maybe, maybe he's had a good time for a while, but, you know, things are not going well. The hogs are better off than he is. He's starving. He's hungry. He comes home, he confesses, he repents, he comes back to his father and confesses, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. He says, I'm no longer worthy to be your son. But the father receives him back with, with open arms. That's a picture of our, our father in heaven. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. That's a, that's a beautiful verse that this psalm ends with. So let's wrap this up. Confession and repentance are not just for the unsaved. They're, they're for God's children as well. You know, we, we sing that great hymn that has this line in it, prone to wander, prone to leave the God I love. And, you know, within our hearts are these, these opposing desires, you know, desires to honor God, but at the same time desiring to honor ourselves. The desire to, to go to God, but the desire to flee from him. And the desire to flee from sin, but the desire to go to it. You know, that's what this psalm is all about. You know, it's about David. This man of God, the, the Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. But even David was, was prone to wander. You know, even David knew the necessity of acknowledging his sin, confessing it to God. You know, David also knew the joy of reconciliation, the joy of confession. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Proverbs 3, 7, 8 speaks of healing in repentance and forgiveness. It says, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. So let's ask ourselves, are, are, we, are we too proud, too wise in our, in our own eyes, you know, to, to see that our sin is separating us from God? Um, we need to keep a short account with God. We need, when we have unconfessed sin, to acknowledge it. When we have unconfessed, unresolved sin, it's like a wall that we're building between us and God. And the longer we stay silent, the, the taller that wall gets. But when we confess it, God tears that wall down. 
He's a God of love. We need to submit to God. We need to seek him. We need to let him cleanse us. The last verse, verse 11, says, Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. God's desire is that we walk in righteousness, his uprightness, his desire that we're glad and blessed and full of joy. So we need to incorporate uh, confession into our prayer life. We need to be regular confessors. And if there's somebody in this, this room today who has not ever been forgiven, who doesn't know God, who has no relationship, you know, today's the day Jesus Christ died on the cross and shed his blood for the forgiveness of, of our sins. John says that uh, those who believe in him and receive him become the children of God. Let's pray. Father, we, we do confess that, that we are prone to wander. We are prone to, uh, to leave the, the God we love. Uh, help us, Lord, to be people of confession, knowing that you are a forgiving father. Thank you, Lord, for the, uh, the forgiveness of sins that we have through Jesus Christ. Uh, let, let each of us uh, pray what David says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the, in the way everlasting. We pray this in Christ's name and for his sake, amen.